as soon as you understand as a leader that you work for the people that you're managing, not the other way around, emotional intelligence comes out so much easier than trying to force it on. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. How do you attract and retain qualified employees? Are you aware of the importance of emotional intelligence and the effect that it has on your leadership style? What is your core business and it's not what you think? Can you explain blockchain and artificial intelligence in a simple and understandable way? Well, those questions and more will be answered by my guests, Brian Comerford and Nick Lozano, who are co-hosts of Lead.exe Podcast, among other endeavors. Lead.exe podcast covers topics from leadership to emotional intelligence to design thinking and many others. I had the honor and pleasure of being on their podcast on January 1st, 2020, and these guys are really good and they are a ton of fun. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Brian and Nick. Brian is a digital leader and serial entrepreneur notably as co-founder of RadioValve.com, an iRadio station among the first generation of webcasters. He served as adjunct professor at the University of Denver, his alma mater, in the Digital Media Studies Department. He currently serves as co-chair of the CIO Working Group for the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers and is a board member of the Adoption Exchange as well as the design partner for Foxit Software and Assurex Global Vetifor. Now, Nick is a technologist and entrepreneur. Nick has experience in working in technology and leading teams at Accenture, a boutique technology consulting firm, Cornerstack, and a major trade association. Prior to working in technology, Nick led and managed teams in the hospitality industry. Now, these guys understand the challenges that left-brain linear thinkers deal with in the workplace, which are the same challenges that accounting and financial professionals are faced with as well. This episode has a wide variety of topics that everyone can learn from. Now, let me take care of some housekeeping issues, and then we'll get to the interview. Change Your Mindset is part of the C-Suite Radio family of podcasts. It's an honor and a privilege to be amongst some of the more prevalent business podcasts, such as The Hero Factor with Jeffrey Hazlett, Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken, and Keep Leading with my friend Eddie Turner. You can find Change Your Mindset and many other outstanding business podcasts on C-Suite Radio by going to www.c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. 
In January of 2020, I received an email from Feedspot informing me that Change Your Mindset podcast was selected as one of the top 15 communication skills podcasts you must follow in 2020. Wow. I admit I was completely caught off guard and extremely honored. Now, I would like to thank every guest that has been on my podcast for the last three and a half years because you are the ones who make this podcast successful. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a high content and engaging speaker for your next conference? Do you want to deliver a story to stakeholders that will transform data dumping to engaging business conversations? Do you want to feel that the value a speaker provides your audience far exceeds the dollar value on their invoice? Then book Peter for your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Contact Peter at peter at petermargaritas.com and visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com. By the way, one of his Fortune 50 clients actually made the comment about the value he brings to your audience. I have put in the show notes the links to Brian and Nick's LinkedIn pages, along with links to their podcast on a variety of podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the interview with Brian and Nick. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to season three. And man, do I have a guest or let me rephrase that. I have guests for you that are very interesting and very funny. Uh, just from the just from the start of this, I, I should have started recording this because this would have made a great blooper reel uh, to show later on. I, I'd like to one first thank my guest. Nick Lozano and Brian Comerford for taking time out of the busy schedule to spend some time with me. And welcome, gentlemen, to Change Your Mindset podcast. Thanks for having us on, Peter. I I have to admit to the audience, uh, I'm surprised they accepted my invitation because I was on their podcast. And, and after we were done, I didn't think they would ever come on my podcast. They they were just like, "Oh, well, who is this crazy guy?" <laughs> Any, anyone who calls himself the accidental accountant and has a podcast called Change Your Mindset, you are right up my alley. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. And, and, and with your guys' background, I, I, I love your interview style. You guys did a great job. And once again, I'll thank Roxanne Kaufman Elliott for the introduction. Plug plug. And um, how did you guys come about? What were you guys sitting around one day? Because, Brian, you're in Colorado and, and, and Nick's in D.C. Did you guys just come around one day and just find each other and go, hey, you know, I got a great idea. Let's start a podcast. <laughs> well, on the seventh day, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brian and I met each other um, through through my day job, which I run a um, CIO mastermind working group, which Brian is actually a member of. And the podcast kind of started just basically with Brian and I having conversations. Um either before the conference or after the conference. So it just kind of turned into a point where it was like, man, we should probably just record this. Um, <laughs> Brian has a broadcasting background and um, I have a broadcast, uh, not, not broadcasting, geez, and myself credentials I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I have an audio background. You know, I've produced a couple podcasts. Um, 
for my day job and and things in the past and done some audio work when I was in high school. So it was just kind of a match made in heaven. And Brian and I can talk forever, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> is that valid, Brian? It is valid. Yeah. So, you know, Nick and I, I think there was, uh, you know, we'll call it harmonic resonance from the, from the outset. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where he and I, uh, I think just kind of play off each other very naturally uh, and just in ordinary conversation, but in particular in the uh, working group that he referred to, you know, just the interaction that we had, the amount of topics that we feel that I think kind of the perspectives that we had that we felt were uh, both valid, but also kind of coming from directions that were uh, maybe not as conventional as uh, mm -hmm. some of the other members of the working group. Uh, and it felt like something where, you know, there was an opportunity for us to really explore this and kind of open it up uh, into more of a, uh, a community setting or a public setting. But I've got to credit Nick because he's he's really the one that came forward and he said, you know, I mean, we're doing a lot of talking here that uh, could be valuable to others. <laughs> um, why don't we just create a podcast? Let's just do it. And, uh, you know, following his lead, uh, we, we jumped in and uh, I'm so thankful that uh, we have because we've been doing it for a little over a year now. And uh, it's been hugely gratifying. And it's just great, you know, to get feedback from the audience that we've been, develop been able to develop over time. That's cool. So I just in case those who are listening to this kind of went fast forwarded through the introduction, give give, a, give the audience just a little bit of your background. And we'll start with Nick. Okay. So um I like to say how I got into technology. I walked into a room. Um and that's really not a joke. <laughs> I walked into a room. So to give a little bit of background on myself, um you know, when I first got out of high school, I did paint and body work. I was an auto mechanic guy. Um, and then I decided I didn't want to huff fumes anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> that was bad for my health. <laughs> um, who would think breathing in dust would be bad for you? Um, so then I kind of went back to college um, and I was working in restaurants. I was a professional chef for a little while. Um, worked at different hotels and resorts during my time. And, um, you know, I just decided I had to do something different. And I always had this knack and interest in technology. Um, so I went to a community college and kind of just got a general AA, which is how I recommend everyone to go to college, go to get a general AA, get as cheap as you can, and then go to a state <laughs> school. Um, so I did that. And then, um, you know, lo and behold, here I'm at the Uni University of Central Florida, and I have to declare a major because I'm, you know, rising junior. And they're like, well, you know, you need to decide what you're going to do. And this one guy walks by, he's a professor. He's like, you don't know what you want to do? He's like, just come with me to this room. Lo and behold, I became a management of information systems student. Um, so kind of how I got into technology. And then I've worked in roles um, at consulting firms. Um, I own a small boutique consulting firm. And you know, then I wound up where I am now. So I've, I'm kind of like you, Peter. I accidentally wound up where I am. I don't know how I wound up here, but here I am. <laughs> so where you are now, and according to your LinkedIn page, you're the janitor where? I'm the janitor. It's very long. I'm the janitor at the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. It's an insurance trade association in Washington, D.C. 
And just for the record, because I've seen it a couple places, so I had to go validate it. And I went out to their website and was snooping around and found out that you're actually not the janitor. You're the director of technology with a great sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it actually has my current job listed as a janitor. Um, And it's, it's even my tagline. I just don't ever take myself seriously. And the whole the whole janitor thing came up with um, a conversation I had with people on LinkedIn. I was like, you know, I wonder how many people would actually have conversations with me if they just thought I was a janitor. Um, and the one thing it's actually done is dr- driven people to my profile because I'll be on LinkedIn talking about leadership or podcasting or something. They're like, wait, this guy's a janitor? <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> and then the, lo and behold, I had a conversation with somebody today and they're like, okay, so like, why'd you make it a janitor? I was like, I don't know. I just want to see if somebody would talk to me. It's an experiment. I'm a highly curious individual. Um, and, and they go on and on. They're like, okay, well, I'm looking at your profile. So what are you trying to sell? Like, I'm not trying to sell anything. I just thought it'd be funny. <laughs> you know? <laughs> sell the cleaning materials when I buy some. Exactly. Uh, well, LinkedIn is still the internet, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Brian, what about your background? So, uh, so I got into technology from a pretty oblique path myself. I uh, was very interested in electronic music from a young age. I uh, got a synthesizer and a drum machine the same year that MIDI came out. And that was really the beginning of learning how to cobble together uh, technical equipment <laughs> and uh, pass signal from one thing to another. And pretty soon I was working in a, a sequencing emulator and an old Atari uh, personal computer. <laughs> uh, and, you know, pretty quickly discovered that of all the kids I knew, I was one of the most technical, although I never considered myself a technical person. I've always been. Uh, an artist, honestly, I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm the son of a couple of artists and a writer, and uh, you know I I really thought that I would go off and write screenplays and make movies, do filmmaking, um, and all you know through my uh, academic background, uh, initially that is exactly what I did. I learned film arts, I learned screenwriting, uh, I worked more and more with technical equipment, you know, really um, creating things using software and. Kind of learns, you know, a lot about uh, how you can apply automation principles uh, within sort of an artistic context. Well, I never thought that that was going to lead into a, a deeper <laughs> and deeper uh, technical career. But uh, in the mid '90s, uh, I got really intrigued at a time that I was a, a DJ and a broadcast producer. Uh, I got really intrigued by something called real audio. And I started talking to other people about it. I said, hey, this is really cool. You know, there's this thing now where you can actually stream audio on the web and no one cared. And, <laughs> but I was really fascinated with it. I just happened to be producing a program uh, that uh, a couple of my co-producers and I uh, wrote a grant to get uh, a real producer license and started webcasting our program. Uh, and that really kind of started me in, you know, this whole internet radio thing right at the beginning of kind of the, the swell of the dot-com wave. Mm. Um, and, you know, how could I possibly have seen that uh, I'd be getting into <laughs> one of the most volatile industries with everything that happened in the music industry? But uh, yeah. I got really deep into uh, everything that was going on with digital distribution in the music industry uh, throughout the remainder of the 90s. 
went through my own bouts of litigation, uh, as many, you know, audio companies did, mm. um, not for doing anything wrong, but just because that became the, you know, the main play for the record industry association of America it was right. Sue, sue everybody. That'll slow this down. Yeah. Um, and, that, uh, that, that works. <laughs> about the time that I was bottomed out financially, I thought, mm. you know, it's probably a good time to go back to grad school and get credentials for all mm. this stuff that I've been doing for the last yeah. decade. Uh, so I did, and I went and got a master's degree in digital media. Um, and I've been doing a lot of independent consulting myself around that time. I was, uh, I, I had a friend who, uh, was a law clerk at a commercial insurance brokerage. And he said, Hey, I work for this company that you never heard of in an industry that you didn't know existed. <laughs> um, but they need someone like you to come fix all this stuff with mm. their technology. Uh, and I thought it would be, you know, something like kind of a cool consulting engagement. Uh, and 15 years later, uh, it's what I've been doing for, you know, a long damn time now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fortunate in that, you know, that is the work that ultimately led me to be a member of the CIO mastermind group that uh, Nick has been uh, steering for many years now. And, uh, and to be able to collaborate with him and uh, ultimately, you know, come to co-produce lead.exe together. That's cool. Um, so uh, you've mentioned the CI, CIO working group. So and it's a mastermind group. So what's, what's the conversation like uh, when you guys get together and, and, and have your, when you're masterminding? Uh, what, what, what topics are discussed? Um, what do you guys <laughs> talk about? <laughs> you, you would think that getting everybody together would be um, them talking about what customer relationship management system they're going to use, right? But it, it never really gets to that. I think the big topic you know, that we've seen the last couple of years is um, talent acquisition and talent development, right, Brian? They're like, okay, well, you know, data science is big. We bought all this, you know, software to do data science. Now we just need somebody to do it. Where do we find these people who do this? Um, and that's been a big trend. And I would say cybersecurity, um, you know, and anything related around cybersecurity lately is a hot topic issue. So Nick and I have been, you know, really interested in these areas that even though they get qualified as soft skills a lot, mm -hmm. um, we don't really consider them soft skills. We consider them essential leadership skills. Uh, and that ended up being something that pretty quickly we realized that was really uh, a sort of top agenda item, uh, working group after working group. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's been great because it's given us opportunities to uh, schedule bringing in uh, facilitators really to to help conduct uh, leadership training, uh, and then you know we also develop a, a structured agenda before every uh, working group so that we can do our best to kind of you know herd cats and keep everything on track. <laughs> so it's interesting to bring up talent development, cybersecurity, because in the world that I primarily deal with, with accounting and finance professionals. Talent development, talent retention, talent attraction seems to be either one or two for the past five years. Um, and some organizations have figured it out. Some are still thinking it's 1980. <laughs> They're going to get the gold watch at, at retirement, right? Yeah, and, and it's it's it just boggles my mind sometimes that... Um, we get a pretty large workforce out there that's coming in who don't act like us. I'm a 
baby boomer, and uh, who don't operate in the same mind, mindset that we do, but we expect them to morph into our world when really we should be creating an environment that attracts them to stay in our world versus repel them out. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the same, same thing? I see the same thing, and I, I know what word everyone thinks of as soon as they say this is that that dreaded M word. Um, I hate that word. I it's hate one it. of Nick's favorite words. Yeah. And, and, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite <laughs> word by far. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm in that generation. Sometimes I'm not being born in '82. But um, when I always think of people are always criticizing the millennial generation, they've kind of been a punching bag, and now now it's kind of shifting to that Gen Z, right? They're now yeah. the Gen Z starting to be part of that punching bag. But I always say that you know, older generations have always criticized younger generations since the beginning of time. You know, I always bring it back to this one quote: "It's they think they know everything, and they are quite sure about it." <laughs> you know who said that? Who said that? That was Aristotle and the rhetoric in 4th BC. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, we're talking about since the beginning of time. And what I always tell people is when you hear these things about millennials, take the word millennial off of it and just put people, right? Yeah. People love to work for a purpose. People love to know what they're working for. People love to know they have a path for career growth. People just love to do that. And I think what we're seeing is that over time, the internet has just made it easier to find like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Where previous generations didn't have, you know, instantly to post something on Reddit and saying how they feel or Twitter and somebody could see it instantly in real time. Um, now these younger generations can find those people more easily. And I think their voice is just being heard. I don't think we're seeing anything new, at least in my opinion, that wasn't there before. It's just more front and center. And before, you know, leaders were just kind of like, well, you know, I hired Johnny over here and we pay him well. So he'll just stay here for 20 years and we won't worry about developing him, uh, you know, talent wise, turning him into a leader, um, actually caring about our people. We don't, we don't need to worry about that because he'll just stay here for 20 years. <laughs> well, Brian? I'll chime in. I'll chime in and say that uh, I fall squarely in Gen X. And the first time that I remember someone in our organization uh, referring to millennials, and they had sort of this list of things that we had to we had to be aware about because these were the behaviors, the expectations, and these different things. I looked at it and I thought, there's not a single thing here that doesn't describe me. Um, but <laughs> I, I also, you know, consider myself to be more socially progressive. I've also been, you know, very involved in, uh, the evolution in technology and, you know, have been with the web since, uh, since it's released in 1993. So, um, it's, it's something that, you know, has just always been part of my own set of behavioral characteristics. Uh, so to then suddenly hear that there's this demographic qualifier made me realize that really we've got sort of this segment of the population um, that just didn't know what time it is. And, you know, now they've been caught off guard mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, a whole uh, demographic of, you know, you call them digital natives uh, pretty typically, right? It's just people who are really comfortable living in an interconnected world that, uh, you know, where linking things via hypertext is, you know, there's nothing revolutionary about it. I mean, that, that's actually a qualifier for how people start to think and interact. And, you know, it's a social media context becomes part of just your social context. Um, so all of those things to me, uh, there, there was nothing revolutionary 
going on other than suddenly a demographic of people suddenly woke up to the fact that, well, wait a second, you know, things have changed. And, you know, there's kind of two impulses. One is I'm change averse by nature. Therefore, I want to try to, try to put a stop to this. Right. It's impossible to do. Right. And so yeah. if I can't put a stop to it, I'm going to criticize it. Or if people are going to take it and try to bake it into part of their own, uh, you know, personal set of behavioral mm-hmm. characteristics. And I think we've started to see, you know, more of an awareness that, you know, change is just going to continue to come. Um, figuring out how do we how do we imbue that change in you know things that either from a business perspective or from a, a talent acquisition perspective, right? How, how do we bring those things uh, and and make it part of you know the collective demographic versus it's a an us and them kind of thing? We're, we're still sort of in that gray zone navigating through a lot of that, but it feels like it's improved. I, I think it's an improvement. If you think about the baby boomer when they entered the workforce, their bosses were the greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the silent generation, how we describe them. And, and those folks went through the depression. Mm-hmm. They went through very tough times in, in this country. And then here come the baby boomers. Uh, let's see, uh, make love, not war. Uh, you know, hate Ashbury, the whole. A drug scene and, and the Vietnam War and a counterculture. They forget that because mm-hmm. they were the older generation was looking at them. What is that music? You know, who's that Elvis Presley guy? You know, and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and looked at them in the same way that uh, the boomers are always, you know, kind of look at the younger generation. And, you know, I, I, I think I realized when I was teaching at Ohio Dominican University, when my group of seniors were going out to the workforce, I'd take them aside and I'd give them a little piece of advice. But they were talented. I said, you know stuff that my peers have no clue. Mm -hmm. And they know stuff that you have no clue. Find a way to build the bridge. Don't look at anybody any differently, but just know that you've got talents that they don't have, and they got talents that you don't have. And if you can align them together, you'll come out at the end. And just try to take that stereotype out. But, oh, my God, if I hear another person, they're millennials. <laughs> Those millennials uh, are, are multi-billionaires. I don't know some guy named Zuckerberg or something like that, and and who've created these these you know these these organizations that tend to grow and thrive. And oh, by the way, has anybody been to Sears lately? <laughs> I mean, so I think that's kind of how it's all. But we do need to change that mindset to be more inclusive and realize that that you know my son's a Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And he's he's mastering it because he's a Gen Z Z Z Z. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna sleep his way to the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what are the challenges that do you see in your world out there that that people are talking a lot about outside of the talent and development? And obviously, cybersecurity will always be there. But in this mm-hmm. leadership, soft skilled genre. I would say emotional intelligence just in general, right, Brian? For sure. You know, as technology leaders are always very keen on their technical skills. They keep up with what Amazon's doing, what what, what Microsoft's doing, what the latest coding language is. But they spend very little time looking at research about, you know, any emotional intelligence, self-awareness, meditation, breath work. Like, none of that stuff nobody ever looks at. And that's kind of our, our thinking with bringing 
you know, our podcast, really our podcast could be just a leadership podcast, but we're tech guys and we gear it towards tech people because we know that these, these issues don't come forefront to them. Um, and, and the easy emotional intelligence, like I think it's self-awareness, right? We go back to the boomer millennial thing, um, Gen Z. It's just being aware that you possibly have some biases, right? <laughs> you know, being in a certain <laughs> generation, being, being older, you know, um, looking down at younger generations or younger generations looking up at older generations saying, well, you know, not looking at them for their experience, you know, tapping into their experience to get, get some advice or some information. I would say for me, self-awareness and caring are two big things I see lacking in leaders in general. Right. Yeah, and I, well, I think a component of that, you know, we, we were kind of poking fun at Nick earlier for having janitor as his, uh, <laughs> job title on LinkedIn. But part part of that mindset mindset we've referred to for years is the custodial mindset. And so within the business, mm. uh, there tends to be this perception that anyone who's working in IT, right, they're the trolls in the back room. Like we only <laughs> summon them when we really need something or something needs to be fixed or cleaned up, right? But in terms of inviting them to have a seat at the table and be thought leaders in our organization, it tends not to be uh, at the forefront of companies that aren't tech companies to begin with, right? Right. So, uh, so you know, part of that uh, self awareness is the understanding that actually today in the 21st century we're all tech companies, we're all data companies, and actually having our tech leadership. Uh, very close to uh, the executive leadership, <laughs> having that seat at the table, it's really critical to help ensure that your business is evolving and transforming in the way that it needs to. So that's another component that you know we. Uh, I, I think it ends up being a topic that we arrive at uh, mm-hmm. pretty frequently, whether or not uh, it's it's something that uh, you know, for instance, in our working group, ends up being an overt agenda item. It's it's one that just continually comes up. I when I mentioned emotional intelligence or do a session on emotional intelligence to finance and accounting professionals, I get this. Oh dear God! I mean, I, this is going to be just Paul. What's this? Is the touchy feely stuff? And, yes. and then I I, I I watch these for these emotions, this body language, and I think I said this on your guys' podcast. Then I'll ask them this question: By the way, guys, what business are you in? Uh, we're in accounting, finance, we're in auditing, we're taxed. No, no, that's not the business that you are in. That's a byproduct of what you're in. And I tried to get them just a little bit agitated. And I've got, now, you're in the people business. Mm-hmm. And, and that's first and foremost in every business that's out there. There's in the people business. In order to be better at your business, you have to understand yourself as a person and your organization as people. And that brings in the importance of emotional intelligence. And that's what the big thing is. And it's starting, it's starting to resonate with them. But I don't think that Sheldon Cooper type of, of character mentality, the way they've crafted him in the Big Bang Theory, who's, who's socially awkward, who you know, has no filter and, and doesn't care about other people's feelings. It's, it's harder for that linear left brain person to adapt mm-hmm. and, and want to adapt into that that touchy-feely type of stuff, but the more that, that we can learn about it, the better that we can be in growing our businesses. You know, even thinking about it from the perspective of not even necessarily the touchy-feely stuff, but you, know, you hear a lot about performance management in organizations, mm-hmm. the importance of it. And, you know, you've got to have these quarterly check-ins. And you've got to 
work with your direct reports to establish goals and all these things. It's it's this very structured sort of rote, repetitive kind of behavior. But the emotional intelligence component of it is just interact with them like people and have conversations, <laughs> and have regular conversations right. and disclose your expectations and, you know, make sure that you're actually communicating in a way so that everyone feels included and up to date on things that are going on. And then all this performance management stuff actually goes out the window. It's, it is just happening because it's part of your culture. So that's, to me, that's a, a component of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. When, when I see someone roll their eyes, when I, I use that phrase, mm-hmm. um, to me, that's, that's one of those places that I go. Because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, well, performance management, I mean, well, that's obviously critically important. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, uh, maybe not. You know, what are the KPIs we're trying to hit here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's <laughs> on the cross nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think Brian touched on a very good point, and this is the way it was taught to me years ago. So, like one of my first management roles was working in a restaurant, being an assistant kitchen manager, and like working with people who are like 19, 20 years old, who are who are rough cut bunch of pirates. If you ever read the Anthony Bourdain book, you know, <laughs> people who work in kitchens are going to be very inter- interesting individuals. And um, I remember the chef coming up to me one time. He's like, he goes, all right, you know, Nick, I want you to walk your shift. I was like, okay, you just want me to walk around and, you know, make sure the floors are clean. There's no, you know, like things are labeled the data. He's like, no, I want you to walk your shift. I'm like, well, uh, chef, I'm sorry. I don't really understand what you're doing. I can physically walk around here. What are you trying to get? At? He's like, no. Every day when you're in here, he's like, I want you to walk around and talk to everybody and have genuine conversations with them like they're human beings. He's like, have a real quick five-minute conversation. Find out who someone's kids are. You know, Walk over here. Is this person going to school? What are they doing at school? Have a genuine interest in them as individuals and care about them, and then they will care about you. They will do anything they need to do for you if you genuinely care about them. And for me, that's all emotional intelligence is. It's just genuinely caring about the people that you work with, right? As soon as you understand as a leader that you work for the people, that you're managing, not the other way around, emotional intelligence comes out so much easier than trying to force it on, just in my opinion. Uh, so, yes, I, when we have that servant leadership uh, approach. So when I, when I think of emotional intelligence, and I, I'm, th- this is, I'm thinking of one word, what is the biggest killer of emotional intelligence? Or what, 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 what stops somebody from uh, embracing emotional intelligence? There's one word I'm thinking has three letters in it. <laughs> it's going to be the, uh, what, what, what do you think there, Brian? <laughs> uh, one, one word, three letters. Okay. Well, um, and we all have it and we all have it. Ego. 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 Our ego gets in the way. Our ego stops us from really accepting emotional intelligence. I had a guy in one of my classes sessions in Minnesota, and I knew I'd recognized him before. And he's an an attorney who's a CPA who is the smartest guy in the room. Just ask him. And he'll tell you, (laughs) he's the smartest guy in the room. And I think this is worthy of your time. And, and, And it was just like, he has absolutely no emotional intelligence because it's all about him. And not about everybody else. Yep. Well, I think that can go back to that same sense of divide when you're talking about, you know, millennials versus whatever other generational demographic. You know, as long as there's an us and them mentality instead of a we mentality, 
then that's, you know, that's that part that's getting fed, right? It's the ego. It's the, okay, I've got the title. I've got these years of experience. These things make me important, uh, you know, from a societal perspective, uh, you know, we're all uh, pack animals, right? I mean, we thrive yeah. on having uh, some kind of gratification with that status. Uh, and so you know, the more emotionally intelligent you become, the more you're able to check your ego at the door and recognize that there's probably a lot to be learned. If I actually close my mouth and listen, uh, and uh, and I think it cuts both ways. You know, there's, there's certainly plenty, plenty of younger generational people I've met who are very cavalier and confident because they just figured something out. So therefore, they must know everything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nick? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you just described me at 19 years old. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stand in the back old. of this truck. Will we do 50? It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think I would agree with Brian, you know, that, that left brain mentality, um, you kind of, or when you're used to being that smartest person in the room, you have to be able to just sit there and let people fully flush out the, uh, flush out ideas before you say anything. You know, it's the listening to to hear what somebody's saying instead of waiting to respond, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about what your next response mm-hmm. is. It's truly being open and understanding that there is, never is any right or wrong answer. Um, you know, there's just a different answer. And, and that's my opinion. And it, you know, I'll go back to another thing too. When we're talking about this, it's you got to be vulnerable a little bit, right? Um, one thing I always like to tell people who work for me, um, with me, is things that I've screwed up. I've screwed up a number of things. Like, how about the one time I accidentally tripped over a server room cable and took the whole office internet down for 25 minutes? <laughs> but the time I shut a server off and go, this will turn back on, and it never. <laughs> 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 so like i always like to share with people you know like you know i make mistakes i'm human um therefore i'm not expecting you to be perfect in here and and part of that with that mentality is when you have to be right you have a hard time being vulnerable because you know you have to be right but i would say let's just share something that everybody's kind of messed up let's have a fail fest right now um and just go over everything you failed with kind of open up and get everyone kind of comfortable with each other um to get used to the idea that you don't have to be right and that you can mess things up and everybody messes everything up if somebody works in technology and has told you that they have never screwed something up they are lying to you <laughs> <laughs> but that's an interesting point nick because you know i think the the key attribute of emotional intelligence to be able to disclose things in that way is having that implicit trust, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing knowing that it's okay to be able um, to disclose those things, particularly in technology, because uh, you know we work in an industry where the expectation is there's there's you know total fault tolerance, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's just no margin for error in things. And, you know, to admit that you screw up can sometimes cost you your job, right? Or uh, at least get you demoted to a a desk in the basement. Um, But when you do have a high degree of emotional intelligence and it goes and spans the entire team, that's when you're really able to be capable of having those conversations where you can say something like, you know, hey, here's the mistake I made. Wanted to make sure that you're aware of it. Well, if we had a fail fest, we don't have enough time on this podcast to we even start. Uh, this would be like an 18-hour, 14 different segment uh, 
<laughs> uh, piece. But, you know, I have to commend you two. I didn't realize you were both excellent improvisers. <laughs> because yeah, that's right. I'm a janitor, you know. That's right. A lowly but, janitor, humble janitor. But in, 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 in improv, I mean, Nick said it, and we, we, you know, it's listening to understand versus listening to respond. Hmm. And in, in improv, it's, it's about suspending judgment. Otherwise, leave your ego at the door. And in improv, it's about being vulnerable. In improv, it's not about me. It's about the team. Um, and every, everything that you guys have said up to this point has resonated in my world of improv. And most people don't realize it. But when I sit there and dissect it, they go, oh, well, that's cool. Then I go, well, do you want to get up on stage in a theater? And then they shut right down. <laughs> but I'd rather have I'd rather have those folks out there going okay I now I'm aware of it mm-hmm. now let me use it versus I'm just kind of blindly doing this and you guys have just demonstrated tremendously. Wow, well, that, that says a lot coming from an improv master like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, well, you know everybody everybody I, I meet. Uh, let me rephrase that. 93% of the people that I meet are improvisers. They just don't realize it. They, they, mm-hmm. Nobody has explained it to them. That remaining percentage will never become improvisers because it's about them. It's about their ego. It's about what's in it for, for them, not what's in it for the group. So those who, and then it's fun to watch when, when, when I mention it because it is a leadership tool that's really this environment is where we'll thrive. It wasn't going to thrive in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But now that we've morphed into this over the last 20 years, it's become a much more powerful tool in the workplace. If we can get past corporate culture and the ego and be vulnerable, which is so extremely difficult in corporate America these days. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll share a little anecdote here, Peter. Since, okay. uh, since first meeting you, uh, I've been Uh-oh. turning my son on to improv. And of course, I have to be cautious about, you know, which content <laughs> I'm exposing him to since he is 11. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, something... You have was... the internet, Brian. It's, it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, I, I control his internet. <laughs> but, you know, my wife is Thai. And uh, Thai people... You know, in Thailand, there's pretty much one guy who's a stand-up comic because it's not really, uh, you know, something that is, you know, culturally, uh, you know, common. The idea of, you know, exposing yourself in that way, you know, in, in Asian culture in general, yeah. where it's more about, you know, you kind of fade into the group. Right, you know? right, right. Um, so it was interesting because uh, we, we found this uh, Canadian improv troupe that does everything, you know, family-friendly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we were watching one of these episodes and me and my son were just having the greatest time. And my wife could not figure out where the joke was. And mm. it, it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of getting to explain it to her mm. and see her start to open up to it. Because the idea from her perspective uh, that, you know, you would just kind of be riffing off of each other and that this thing would constantly be evolving rather than, you know, it's a joke that is told with a beginning, middle, and end. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, it was it was pretty interesting seeing uh, seeing how eye-opening. So uh, I just yeah. thought that would be a little fun thing to share. I appreciate that. And it is. It, it's, I, I still love improv because when, when you're doing it for theatrical purposes or on stage and there's an audience that, that you want to make them laugh, 
the word and can bring the audience to its knees in, in how it's being used. Um, and th there is no, per se, script. It's all, you know, and, but when, when you do stand-up comedy, you write stand-up comedy, it's the premise and the punchline and the tags. And there is a structure there where in improv, there isn't a structure. And when you start studying improv and learning that the principles are really business tools, it makes it makes a corporate workplace a lot more fun. But you have to have everybody else buying in on it. You just can't be the only one trying to do it and going, who's, who's this crazy guy? That's right. My wife would be the one in the office who's the one who doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. We, we shouldn't be laughing and having fun at work. This is serious <laughs> stuff. It is serious, but if we want to get through the day and, and, and be sane, we should be able to have some fun. And, and this is not about you know telling jokes like a priest, a rabbi, and Bill Clinton walk into a bar. <laughs> I, I, I did not walk into that bar. I, tell, I did not walk into that bar. It's not about that because you've offended three different groups of people. <laughs> it, 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 it's about an attitude. It's about a mindset. As Nick said, he didn't take himself seriously. He's the janitor. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but but are you serious about your work? Absolutely. But you don't take yourself too seriously and you're vulnerable. And, and if, if we could devise a drug or something that people, <laughs> that people could take or realize, um, and, and I think it's an improv class. My, my improv coach said a long time ago, if everybody took one improv class, this world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. And to get everybody to buy in on that concept. So I challenge you guys to go take an improv class. Challenge accepted. Take your, take, Challenge accepted. Take your, take your eleven year old son with you to it. Uh, the, the, the now that he's still you know kind of oh dad does dad's the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> Versus, I try to get my seventeen year old son to go with me. Dad, really? Go with you to do you what? Seeing with my dad. Dad, right? Yeah. So um, and then you'll surprise him and pull up TikTok and film the whole thing, right? <laughs> Uh, Brian, can you translate for me? What's a TikTok? Is that a clock? <laughs> no, TikTok is probably the <laughs> number one uh, growing social media platform there. <laughs> okay, yeah, just for some time. Just, that makes yeah. it feel extra old. So, so both of you just called me grandpa. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and there are times that that I am. There's aren't. There's there's times that I don't. I know enough. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not my my. Wife, boss, years ago, and she was with Macy's for 35 years, so later in her career, her boss called her technologically Amish. <laughs> I'm far beyond that, but probably, but probably not up to your guy's level. Um, willing, to, willing to learn. <laughs> It's okay. I had I had um, someone who was a recent college graduate who didn't know how to use Excel at one point in time. So it's just not it. It just runs the whole gambit. Just because someone's an older generation or younger doesn't mean they don't know technology or know technology better. Just in my experience, I've had the phone call where somebody told me they couldn't get the foot pedal on the computer to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And that would wow. be the computer mouse on the floor. <laughs> so uh, you know, you have support tickets, you have to try to not laugh. Um, but you know, the, the thing for real, it, it happens. <laughs> Oh my God, that's hilarious. I can't get the foot pedal on my computer to work. 
Oh yeah. If you ever want a good laugh, just look at the system admin subreddit on Reddit. Um, <laughs> some very interesting support calls on there. But <laughs> I, I think it was, you know when I think of technology, I, I think there's if you're not used to it, you're fearful of it. Mm-hmm. And it's getting past that fear and, and wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and realize you, you're, you're going on. It's, it takes time. It, it, you're not going to learn just like that. We don't learn anything just like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, but it's technology and people want, and if they don't, I, I don't want, my, my IT desk is, he's 19 years old and he's upstairs and, and, you know, he tried, I don't know if my wife's going to listen to this or not. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> he's trying to, you know, trying to get her to become more technically savvy and, and she just throws her hands up like, I, I don't want to deal with it. It's like, well, you kind of got to, you know, I guess you, you don't have to, but if, the more that you know, and the more that you're on social media, the more you can hear the conversation out there that you should be aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Most people uh, are actually far more curious than they may believe themselves to be. And when it comes to technology, it's almost like that curiosity gets shelved because it's, it's more, you know, it's a lot more safe. If I if I don't go explain with this thing, you know what happens if I break it? And, um, yeah. you know, uh, right. But the, but the funny thing is, we're all inherently curious. We're all moving towards wanting to gather more information about things. And uh, you know, I try to use that as um, one of those perception breakers. You know, for folks who find themselves really hung up about playing around with technology, it's. Use the same curiosity that you would have in just having a conversation with someone you just met, right? It's it's right. exploring in that exact same way. Yep, that comes in with the vulnerability because when most people want to ask, they, they don't want to seem like they're coming across as they're stupid. So a lot of reasons why they don't ask a lot of questions. Yeah. I still remember I had a, a, a interviewed this woman. Her name is Jody Paydar. She's a, a a CPA in Chicago, but she's very technically savvy. And, and she was talking about bots a couple of years ago. We're going pot. Bots going to be the deal. What? I said, Jody, what the hell's a bot? And she laughed and she goes, I thought I told you that on the last time you interviewed me. <laughs> and, and, then, and then she goes, she goes, I think she said, do you know what blockchain is? I said, yeah, it's an intestinal disorder. Well, what is it? <laughs> and, 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 but, but as I've, I've said, to, as I've gone, okay, you know what? I, I need to understand this stuff. So I've tried to learn more about it over, over the years. And, and, but I see a lot, I mean, you guys are up to speed with this, but I, I see a lot of, of people in, in accounting accounting world particularly go this is a fad this is we're never going to and I'm like guys you know it, it's here uh artificial intelligence in, in the workplace is here artificial intelligence is sitting on i've got one here and i got one back there i've got i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say her name because she always answers me he starts with the may <laughs> and then i got some home over here that you know kind of bounce them off each other um <laughs> give them equal time but you know i think the more that we embrace technology the more productive and curious we become mm-hmm. i mean you know artificial intelligence which is a whole thing within itself i always tell people you know when ai is the big buzzword now right but i equate the word ai to like saying a car right there's parts in a car that are are separate all on its own there's a transmission there's a gear shifter there's all this but you don't refer to each part component itself right you just refer to the whole device as a car well, AI is kind of like that. There's components of it. There's computer vision. There's geographic information systems. There's machine learning. Um, so it's kind of AI is kind of like this big term that 
the media likes to use, but it's kind of like saying, you know, you went to college at the University of Kentucky, but, you know, there's all these different minors and majors you can do. Um, there's more to it than just going to that school. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> but, but, but Nick, you just did some, I mean, you did a very good job of, of creating an analogy, telling a story about something that's more complicated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, who, I think a lot of folks have a hard time, especially when they understand a complex language, to put it in a context that somebody who doesn't have that language can understand. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always thought of AI. Well, so I, my first uh, interaction with AI was Alan Iverson during watching him on a press conference about practice. <laughs> but outside of practice, yeah, <laughs> you're talking about practice. But then when I think of AI, I think it in totality, like I think of a car. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you, this is the first time somebody's ever explained it to me. Like, oh, there's more than that. Yeah, because you know, like your your virtu- your assistant you got there back on your desk. I'm not going to say it in case anyone's listening mm. in their car or something or on their phone. Um, you know, that has natural <laughs> language processing in it, which takes the context of what you're saying to try to figure out what you're requesting, um, which is a part of artificial intelligence. And you know, I can explain blockchain to you real quick too. You want to know what blockchain is in a nutshell? I have a piece of paper. You have a piece of paper. Brian has a piece of paper. All right. And now we can each write change your mindset podcast on it. Right. I write that. You write that. Brian writes that. Now let's check and verify that. Did you write that on your piece of paper? Did Brian yes. write that piece of paper? Did I write that piece of paper? Boom. That's blockchain. We just verified everything. We wrote everything on a ledger. We wrote it down. And then we all agreed <laughs> that that's what we wrote. And it's exactly the same. <laughs> that's blockchain. I gotta go back and listen to this episode again. <laughs> I mean, I, I that's I mean, I, I I kid you not. That is probably the most simplest way, <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, I mean it's that's, definitely a lot more complicated. That, but right. in a nutshell, that's that's basically it's a distributed ledger where we go back and verify that each node, which is you're a node, I'm a node, Brian's a node. Um, writing this information, we verify that what was written is correct. And if anyone comes back to us to verify the information, we go, hey, Nick, what did you write? Is that what you wrote? Hey, Peter, what did you write? Is that what's there? Mm-hmm. Hey, Brian, what did you write? Is that there? And if one of them is wrong, then something's wrong <laughs> with the system. So blockchain won't let that happen because it has all the check- checks and balances. But that's it in a nutshell. So, that, so you don't have to worry anymore. <laughs> so just on a side note, you need to write an article. <laughs> on on the on explaining blockchain, I'm writing about explaining blockchain just the way you did, uh-huh. and submitted to an accounting and finance organization or a national accounting and finance organization because most people out there don't have a clue. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and Which is funny because blockchain is probably more analogous to accounting systems than anything else. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I, I mean, the way I've, I've kind of got to understand is, is if we look at blockchain from a, um, a, a supply chain issue. So you, you know, some said you, you catch a tune out in the Indian Ocean, you geotag, you bring it, you geotag, and you follow that trail all the way back. So when I'm sitting there eating my sushi, I, well, where did this come from? Literally, I probably could figure out. Where that fish what was what's mm-hmm. the what's the trend? Uh, uh, how did it get from there to here, and make sure it's verified? And, and I know that Walmart just recently said that they're mandating that their uh, leafy supply chain, as in romaine lettuce, that they they've mandated blockchain to be part of the process. Mm-hmm. 
See, yeah, the, I know a little bit more than I thought. <laughs> you know a lot. And then no, the just big, don't, the don't big wreck your ego up around being a node. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the biggest thing with blockchain is is trust, right? You have to trust each of the nodes, right? That right. way you're writing this information. And that's one of the big sticking points, right, is where these consortiums and things have broken off. It's like, okay, well, can we trust this over here? Are we going to set up these things of trust? You know, Ethereum, we're going to put contracts in that. So it, it just has grown from there. But, it, you know, like it's just basically in a nutshell, you know, almost like dual entry accounting. <laughs> it's like, this is triple entry accounting. Yeah, triple. Tri- but, but, you, but you said that you said the word, it's, it's trust. What, what, yep. Because we've lost trust in the banking system. This cryptocurrency was born, and because I've read a few things along those lines and listened to some stuff about how that came about and, and how, why Target and Home Depot, why they got hacked and all the all that information went away because there's a one central server or in a blockchain community, nobody owns it. It's spread around and it's much harder to hack when it's not all in one central location. Nick's, Nick's, so those of you who are not seeing, Nick's oh, looking Brian, at me. Brian, Brian looked like he was going to reply. So yeah. I, I was well, no, Nick, Nick was looking at me going, I'm not, I don't, what? I have, <laughs> let's defer to, let's defer to Brian then. <laughs> Sorry, I've got, I've got my uh, Bitcoin pinging me over here. On messenger. <laughs> Odd fact, I lost, uh, you know, maybe 20 Bitcoin on a hard drive somewhere. When it first came out and they published it on GitHub, I put it up on a PC and ran it overnight, wound up with 20 Bitcoin. And I don't know, maybe my mom sent that hard drive to the Goodwill or something like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so this would have been forever ago, Brian, when they first published it, you know, and, oh, they, uh, and I just messed with it. And now, like, you'd have to spend so much money and power, it's not even worth your time to mine it. That's like, true. But that must have been a pretty valuable hard drive. <laughs> I don't even know where it is, Brian. <laughs> yeah, Bill Gates has it somewhere. He found it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some some somebody probably shot it with with a gun or something. You know, picked up the thrift store, burned it. Who knows? <laughs> so as we begin to wrap up, guys, the uh, co-host of of Lead Exe, what final words do you have for my audience? I would say just just be vulnerable. Um, you know, run towards failure and um, do things that scare you and do them often. Ooh, I like that, Brian. Love and laughter. They're they're words to live by. So, how do we love and laugh in a workplace that may not, who may not see the value of that? Uh, you know, it's more about you seeing the value of it, I think, because you can work with a lot of jerks. <laughs> and the fact is, the only way it's going to upset you is if you allow it to. So mm-hmm. love and laughter, you know, recognize them for where they're at. Be thankful that that's not you and make sure that you get a good giggle out of it every once in a while when you think about, man, that guy's got some bad karma coming his way. <laughs> <laughs> So, so where, where can everybody find get in contact with you guys and find your podcast? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I accept pretty much every, uh, you know, connection request. Oddly enough, somebody asked me to buy them Bitcoin today, so um, you know, I'm gonna just gonna go ahead and on on connect with them. But so I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> but if you send me one, you know, connection request, as long as you're not trying to get me to buy a cryptocurrency, you know. I'll, you know, I will accept. 
you can find uh, and we'll shoot you um, you know all the information for that. And you can find our podcast on all the podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, we also publish on YouTube as well, too. Cool. How can, how can people find you, Brian? Yeah, same. LinkedIn, it's, uh, it's really the go-to spot. So, and, uh, and all the other <laughs> places that Nick just rattled off the podcast. <laughs> there you be. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just ditto. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you taking time. It's, it's been a blast. I had a blast on your podcast. I wish you guys great success in the podcast and what you do. And uh, I can't wait till our paths actually cross and we're physically across from each other. Um, that will be a hoot. Hey, it's yeah, gonna be a it's gonna be a blockchain kind of improv. I can feel it. <laughs> hey, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should actually do a live stream and and call it that and see if anybody joins, right? <laughs> <laughs> a blockchain improv. All right. Blockchain That's improv. Right. <laughs> hosted hosted by a janitor, the accidental account. <laughs> And a musician. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> okay, you guys are great. Uh, I, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And um, I look forward to our past crossing soon. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Thanks, thank you. I would like to thank Brian and Nick for the time, their perspective, and their humor in sharing their leadership knowledge with you. How will you begin to change your mindset as it relates to your leadership style? Think about this. Really think about this. And remember that you have to work on it every single day. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you download your podcast from. Also, please subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Make today and every day your best day. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.